Hello and welcome to the Sekiro Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And if you want to get in touch with me by email, I'm info at the second row.com. This podcast is available literally everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Acast, from Stitcher to Spotify, Google Podcasts and literally everywhere else. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you are the first to get so don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you're the first to get a notification when this podcast goes live. This week on the line, I have Kieran Gaffney, who played for Connacht, and Zebra, who had to retire from rugby at a very young age. Hi, Kieran. How are you? How's life under lockdown going? How's all this treating you? Hi, Pork. Um, yeah, it's going. It's going okay. I'm back in Galway now. Uh, with back with the family for the last probably eight to ten weeks now at this stage. Um, so kind of getting used to the or well well used to it at this stage the the new normal and uh the new routine of um that we've all been into of working from home um so i have siblings that were doing exams and um, they were kept busy by that and then my two parents are working from home and my sister is currently doing a course um a yoga course from home so we're all kind of busy enough and uh Taking over nicely. I say that must be a madhouse with makeshift desks everywhere and people yeah. just the internet going mad. Oh, actually, yeah, it's it's a joke. Like the the the, the internet will cut out every once in a while, and, and the whole house will go mad. <laughs> um, so it's inevitable that somebody's probably on a on a call or doing something important when it goes out as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a madhouse always the way always always the way but it's like Galway is your home and you've been a part you're a part of Galwegians from the age of four like it's the first person I've had on that I can say they've been at Galwegians in one club (laughs) from the day they were kind of able to walk (laughs) yeah it's it's yeah it's great I was I remember probably one of my earliest memories really was um used to I used to go up to dad to Crowley Park every Saturday morning because he'd be the he'd be out coaching the minis, and I think he was the youth director, or the mini director at the time. Um, and I used to go every Saturday, and then I think it was when I was four, I was eventually um, convinced by dad to go out and join. I think it was probably the under sevens or under eights at the time, and I was three or four years younger than everyone else. But um, <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved it from then on, um, and I kind of just got used to playing with the older guys. And I was as a result, I was probably playing. A, uh, an age group or two ahead of what I should have been um, up until under 12s and then I stayed back a year um, so it was actually yeah it was actually myself and Sean O'Brien um, who who both had to make a decision whether to stay back or not I remember Sean's dad sitting us down and uh, he was always way ahead of his time and he he sat us down and he was saying he was telling us about kind of kind of trials coming up at under 14s and under 15s and um you know, getting us ready for all that was ahead. But um, yeah, Weegans has been my club since day one, and uh, something that I, or it's a club that I've um, a lot of affinity for, and uh, I'd still I'd still go up and watch the senior senior team up there every every few weeks. My brother's a integral part of the of of the senior squad, so yeah. yeah. I know it's great. I'd like it's where I played my my little bit of rugby when I was playing. So it's a club that it's yeah. Just, uh, shown me so much love and I'm sure it's shown you so yeah. much love over the years as well yeah exactly um, there's, it's a great way of meeting people around Galway I feel, I feel like it's um, a club obviously steeped in history and there's there's so many um, former Connacht players and former Irish players and Irish uh, presidents and everything that have come out of the club and especially when I was leaving school at uh, 18 it was a great club to come into because it was I was coming into a a setup where the majority of guys were probably between the age of about twenty eight to thirty two, so they're kind of in the prime of their careers. And I was an eighteen year old with a, we had a good crop coming out of school at my age, so there was a real nice blend of uh, youth and um, the older lads pushing on, and it, we just gelled really well for those first two seasons that like that we came out of school and. Uh, ended up getting up to division 1a um now sadly that hasn't lasted but uh yeah it was it's, it was a brilliant uh brilliant few years we had i'm sure they'll get back there again uh, sooner rather than later hopefully yeah but 
in in your school, you're a long line of fullbacks for Connacht who played there, like in Ross Green, yeah. like Gavin Duffy and Tierno Haller. And it's kind of like, was like a stamp of honour <laughs> going like, oh yeah, see, we've all done this. It's fine. I know, I know. But actually, I when I was playing in school, I wasn't a fullback at all. I was a, I was an out half. Um, and it was only when I joined the Connacht Academy at the age of 19 where I kind of made the transition. Um, it was actually on the advice of uh, Noel McNamara, who was the who was my Irish schools coach at the time, and he, I had a, a it was a pretty embarrassing experience to be honest. Over in at the Fiera <laughs> the Fiera competition in in uh, France one year, so I was brought along, and uh, it was a three three game tournament, and we ended up I think we lost in the semi finals or where where did we come? We beat George on the first day anyway, I remember. And I, I came off the bench with about three, mon- three minutes to go for Ross Byrne. And my first touch of the ball, I was full of energy, sprinted up to the line, left up a, a, a switch up for my in- inside centre. And he was just a little bit late arriving because it was the, obviously the end of the game. And their 10 just read it perfectly and sprinted on. And I was lucky that he actually dropped the ball because he was going over and he would have... That would have been the enough to beat us, which would have been very embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually get any more game time for the rest of the tournaments, which is humiliating, really, because it was even for the last game we ended up hockey in Scotland, forty points to nil. And um, after the tournament, I kind of sought feedback from Noel, and he told me that he, if I made the the switch to, I think it was thirteen or fifteen. Um, that he could see a, a long-term future for me in the professional game. But um, he felt like my skill set wasn't what it needed to be to be a 10. So on that advice and on Nigel Carlin's advice and Connacht, I, I made the switch. And it must be mad having Nigel Carlin as your under-20s coach and your academy coach at the same time. Yeah. Um, i trying to think, how did that work? Nigel was kind of, yeah, because we kind of had him all year round and... Uh, You'd, you'd, yeah, you'd have your kind of Irish under-20 review meetings with him, but they were also doubled up as your academy meetings. Um, but I think it was it was a good arrangement. At the same time, we you know we we managed to get plenty of Connacht guys um, in and around the squad, and I think our, our representation was pretty good um, those few years. I'm not saying there was any bias or anything, but. Um, yeah, it was it was a strange enough scenario, scenario at the same time. No, there was a nice crop of players that came out that came from Connacht. That you know, there are always a few players on the other twenty squad. I don't think it was anything to do with Nigel. It was just the talent was no, there. No, exactly. Yeah, and it, and the year before as well, we had a similar number. Um, because my first year was with Mike Ruddock. Um, he was our our under twenty coach that year. Um, so yeah, it was it was a similar enough crop. And all fair, and you like you had some nice representation at tournaments like came fourth in one the in the junior World cup in 2014 yeah. and you played most games and scored scored a try like yeah it's no shame to come forth to new zealand i know i was oh that was if i'm looking back at my fondest rugby memories that was that tournament was definitely up there because it was really it was it was it was a tournament where i, I kind of came out of nowhere I, I wasn't on the radar of the 20s at six nations time you know, I, knowing me, I was probably injured at the stage. At the stage, and I remember getting a a trial for a, a kind of a possibles v probables fixture that was played before the World Cup selection, and I had a really good game that game, and ended up getting selected on, on the back of that. So I think I was kind of I was in bonus territory really from from day one, and ended up. Um, going pretty well at that tournament and I I think I played every single minute um which is brilliant I, like I was absolutely shagged by the end of it I played uh <laughs> 5 80 minutes in 17 days or something ridiculous like that um but no I loved it I it was a brilliant experience over there and we got to uh, mix with like some of the some of the best talents out there at the moment like I remember the New Zealand team had a backline of um made McKenzie at fullback uh, Anton Leonard Brown, uh, Richie Moanga, you know all these all these superstars now. So it was brilliant. Just 
these are all household household names now, like from New Zealand. And, yeah, and like the seventh was the the year after, so it's not you had a good crop of under twenties that you enjoyed with. A lot of them still still playing rugby. It must be nice to still keep in touch with that group group of lads now, even today. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's contacts there every everywhere throughout the country. Um, and you kind of bump into them at various stages. Like most of them, obviously, are still playing rugby. Um, actually, a lot of them have have subsequently joined Connacht, uh, you know, pro team senior side since since the twenties. So the likes of um, Steve Fitzgerald, Rory Burke. Um, there's two lads joined this year: Sam Arnold and Connor Oliver. Um, so yeah, it's just been it's it has been cool kind of bumping into them. I actually, bumped into a an Irish under 18s teammate um just last week he was dropping his brother down to the hospital because he's starting a uh, medicine down there but yeah it's it's cool just meeting people from from all around the co- country and all that and it's from the showings and work with Nigel Carlin you got uh, accepted to the Connacht Academy a lot of people wouldn't know what it's like what is it like being an academy player because it doesn't seem like it's easy by any means no um it's probably something that I would like to have done. How am I trying to phrase this? I was probably a little bit naive and immature going into it um, in the sense that I didn't really understand the that rugby is a full-time job and there is so much more that goes on beyond just the training itself. So I was kind of trying to balance the rugby and, and the college, which... So I was doing a, a commerce degree as well, and I, I managed to, to get my degree and all that. But um, if I was to have my time back, I would probably focus more on recovery techniques, on my stretching, on my um, injury prevention, injury management, uh, extras, all that kind of stuff. That you you know when you're eight yeah. when you're eighteen coming out of school, you don't really understand that that's what's needed to, to make it. And um, yeah, so it, it, there, there's definitely a bit of immaturity there um, that I, if, if I was to go back and do it again, I'd have, I'd, I'd be able to change it. And what would have been like your average week like as the caddy player? So Monday morning, would you be like in the gym before the senior team? You know, yeah. what would your day by day be? Yeah. So my first two years, I was, I was kind of solely just training with the academy. And then my last two years, I was training with the seniors. So, if you're in the academy schedule, you're probably in on a Monday. You're doing your gym and your pitch while the while the seniors are doing their their the review from the weekends game, and then you probably you could be done by one o'clock, and then you'd have the rest of the afternoon free. Um, Tuesday would be the big day, um, same as the seniors. The Tuesday would be the big day, so you'd have your um your gym and and skill and pitch session again, which would generally be a big contact session, um, but. You know, you'd be free from two o'clock onwards, pretty much most days. Wednesday would be a free day, Thursday similar enough to Monday. Um, but they, in fairness, they were try, they did try and accommodate, um, the academy lads to try and get to lectures as well. So, what yeah. Andy Murphy brought in the S and C coach was a, a two. There was two different gym slots, so you could either pick a morning slot or an evening slot, um, to suit your your academics, which uh, is is brilliant because. You know, I, as great as the academies are, there's still, I would say, 75% of lads that come out of it don't have a professional career or um, don't end up making it. And it's great for them to have something to fall back on um, after that and so that they don't have all their eggs in the rugby basket, you know. Yeah, I get you. And I'd say you felt lucky. I'd say you're, and you're one of the lucky ones who was able to do that while living at home and not having to pay rent and all that, like all those other things that come with maybe moving from somewhere else in Connacht to the academy. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, it is great for the lads that do move out because they have some crack in the houses. Um, and it's <laughs> like, it's, I look on, I look back at that, like three year period with a lot of fondness because it was, oh, it was brilliant. Like we were, we'd, we'd work hard together, but then we were always together and we'd always hang out in the evening time. Um, you know, we were all best friends by the end of it. It was, it, it was, I know a lot of people say rugby is a bubble and I've learned to to understand that so much more since I've left that bubble because you're literally with these guys 24-7 um, and it's brilliant crack. I bet. I'd love to go back playing again. Yeah. But 
I won't I won't be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but you were able to get a few senior caps for Connacht. What was that like, that game v Ulster, when you came on, that first senior cap? Um, so I came on quite early. I came on about, after about 37 minutes. And we went by very quickly. Um, if I'm looking back on it, I, uh, there's so many things that I'd like to to do differently in terms of my my senior career with Connacht. It was quite short-lived and I, I didn't really get as many opportunities as I would like. But at the same time, I have to like be honest and see and ask myself: Was I ready for them? Could, would I would I have taken them if I was given them? Um, there was probably an element of me feeling like I didn't belong in the senior setup, like I was uh, wasn't as good as these guys because these guys like Connacht were, were my hometown team, so I was always um, idolizing Connacht players when as I was growing up, and I was a ball boy for the for this for the senior team as a as a young lad. Um, so when I joined the senior team, I, there was too much clutter in my head when I was, when I was training, when I was playing with them, I was, I wasn't, um, kind of, as they say in the present, in the here and now. Um, so I was probably always thinking about consequences and, um, didn't just allow myself to, to relax and, 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 pl- and focus and, and, and get into that flow state of mind, you know, where, that all these great sports people t- t- talk about. So or when I was playing at my best, that's what I was like. So when I was with the seniors, I felt I, I probably tightened up too much and didn't allow myself to get the best out and get the best out of my ability. And uh, as a result, my, my senior game time with Connacht was quite limited and, uh, that's probably what got what led me to explore um, the option of going down under down to New Zealand to an old co- coaching contact down there through uh, his name is Corey Brown. So yeah, that that was kind of my story with the Connacht seniors. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the the Pro Fourteen win, like as a part of the squad. I hope you actually got to enjoy some of that. Being as you you got brought over for yeah. that weekend as the full the full academy did i know it's not the same as being as part of, that, of the full senior squad yeah but i hope you're able to kind of just feel a bit of that kind of um there was some you're involved in something special in some way yeah sort of like i was we were there was actually a bit of controversy i remember around the time that, that the connacht lads or the, the sixth academy lads that were training with the seniors weren't going to be brought and um i think it was was it John Muldoon or somebody or Jake Enan or Robbie Henshaw uh, put together a little fund from all the players to to raise to to get us on the flight to go over because we we'd been an integral part of the of the squad for the for the year gone by. Um, did I feel really part of it? Not hugely, no, because I I didn't play any games. I I got I got a lot of twenty fourth man appearances if you can call them that, but. Uh, Look, that said, I was absolutely thrilled because I was a fan, really. I, I, you know, I, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the, on, the the amount of history that had um, had gone by and and the, how Connacht had been, you know, on their knees in 2002-2003 to coming all the way as far as winning the Pro 14 was absolutely unbelievable. And the, the celebrations that went on afterwards were were unbelie- unbelievable like a few of the best days of my life so um <laughs> yeah obviously I, as much as I didn't feel part of it and I I, w- I wouldn't have gone on the what was it the open tour bus afterwards but uh still was able to completely immerse myself in it and I absolutely loved it and like you you mentioned Corey there earlier who's I think he's he's almost a folk hero yeah in his own after a couple of years there and he he's the one who got you down to Otago and playing in Richmond yeah yeah Corey's a great lad he's um such a softly spoken character um but a brilliant coach he's obviously the brother of Tony Brown who's is he with the is he back with the Highlanders now I'm not sure but he he's been in Japan and everywhere so. I, I reached out to Corey and I said, look, I'm, I'm looking for a change of scenery. I'm looking to, to get a new experience. And um, he proposed that I come over to his, uh, to his city in Dunedin. And he was coaching the Otago NPC team at the time. So I said, right, I'm, I'm, I'm keen. I'm, I'm ready to take the plunge. So it was April time I went over and 
this I was it was a bit of a shock to, uh, to begin with because he put me in touch with a, with a club who told me right we'll get you accommodation and a job sorted in some sort of a a business field or a commerce uh, area so I went over and and they get me this job doing manual labor in all day so <laughs> it was a slog really it was it was you were tra- training like a professional but you're also working a nine-to-five job um but looking back I still loved it it was you you were up at half five every morning you do your gym session before work then you work your day's work and then you'd train with the club uh tuesday thursday and train with the province wednesday or monday wednesday and then Jesus. have your match at the weekend um so it was brilliant i was i was absolutely flat out and i was trying to um study for an exam as well that i hadn't passed for my commerce degree back in galway so um yeah, a lot of juggling, but uh, absolutely loved it. I, if, I, if I could go back, I definitely would. <laughs> New Zealand's uh, brilliant, especially that area. Yeah. How much of an influence would Corey had on your rugby? Um, Corey had a lot of influence on my rugby in my Galwegians and Connacht days, but I didn't really get to work with him as much as I would have liked in Otago because you work with your, your club coach for the, for the first, we'll say, four months of the season where you play your cup competition and then you go into your NPC Otago um, competition and I ended up leaving just at the start of that competition because of an offer I got from Zebra. So that said, Corey was brilliant. Um, he was really, really good for my game. He was all about skills and um, skills under pressure and I just loved the whole way of, the whole way they did things over there in New Zealand really. There was, you know there was focus there was so much more of a focus on skills and um power and explosiveness in the gym rather than like lifting a sheer amount of tin um so yeah i i, I really enjoyed it over there sounds like it. it really sounds like you enjoyed yourself and then it was was it the car connection and bradley that got you to zebra or how did that work um it was actually kind of through an agent more so than than michael bradley so Tyg leader would have been my agent at the time who was actually an ex um bish pupil in galway and uh would have been through three or four years older than me maybe two or three i'm not sure um but he was in the just kind of finishing his academy stint when i was going in and he kind of got into the business side of rugby when he when he left to go to america and I think it was just kind of Zebra had put out a few feelers that they were in the in the market for a fullback. I think their their fullback, um, I can't remember his name. Oh, Kurt Baker was his name, and he was just after leaving that preseason, so they were on the hunt for a fullback. And Tig's agency um got on to me, and they said, "Look, uh, these guys are looking for a fullback. Can you let me, let us know what you think?" So I thought, okay, Zebra, they're in the Pro Fourteen. They're in a beautiful part of Italy and I'm likely to get a lot more game time than I was getting with Connacht. So I jumped at the opportunity as soon as I heard about it. And yeah, that's that's kind of how it came about. And what's Zebra like as a team to play for training? You like especially after seeing the Connacht set up the some of the, how the rugby was like in New Zealand, was there major differences or was it easy enough to kind of fit it get into the groove? after the language barrier had kind of dissolved a small uh, bit? Um, let me see. What was the major differences? So, we tr- for one, we trained on the pitch a lot longer than we did in Ireland or in New Zealand. You know, you, you could easily spend two, two and a half, three hours on a, on a pitch, um, mainly due to the craziness of our, of our backs coach, Alessandro Troncon. Um, <laughs> but... It was brilliant. Um, I suppose maybe the fact that we, the trainings weren't as intense and as short and sharp um, as they were in Connacht or in New Zealand. But yeah, I'm not too sure why that was. Maybe I felt like things had to be kind of repped out and explained a bit more um, over there. Um, in terms of the gym side of things, the, the the facilities in Italy weren't didn't match up any, at all to, to what we had in Connacht or in New Zealand. The the gym was kind of real old school kind of thing and it's carved into the side of the stadium. 
but that said the the rest of the facilities the rugby facilities are brilliant to Parma like you've got uh, a full AstroTurf pitch you've got four other playing pitches um, but other than that it was similar-ish like we had we had our meetings you had your reviews you had um, you know your units meetings and all that so there wasn't a huge amount of difference but at the same time um yeah, just the probably the, the pitch sessions going on along were probably the, the main thing. And you got a fair amount of game time with Zebra at that, that year, yeah, eighteen appearances. Like you were very much establishing yourself as a a regular on the on the team. Yeah, it was always oh, brilliant. I was um you know, I I I could finally feel like I was a professional rugby player and I was um I was getting selected pretty much every week. I was kind of looking back at it now. I can't. I, I at the time I was kind of. It was myself, um, the Italian guy, fullback uh, Matteo Manazzi. Um, then there was a winger, Mattia Bellini, and then on the other wing you'd have possibly Giulio Bassegni or um, Venditti. So there were actually there was a lot of good players there and. I know Minazzi's gone on to to Wasps now, but the the competition was quite high, especially in the backs. Um, so yeah, I was I was absolutely loving it. We were we were we were actually going quite well as well that season. We were I think we were it was Zebra's most successful ever season. We we managed to do the double over Connacht and got another win at home to Ulster, which were during you know, the Irish provinces were always the toughest ones for Zebra. Um, so yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was going quite well. And you said you did a double against Connacht. What was it like playing against Connacht or knowing you're going against a team that you'd supported since a child and that you'd left the year before? Um, it was. It definitely had the added bit of uh, pressure on it. I was. I kind of earmarked those two games as the ones that I wanted to do really well in because uh, long term or deep down, it was always a goal to get back to Connacht and to become a regular starter with Connacht. So, yeah, there was that added bit of pressure, but at the same time, I was really hyped up to try and um, to try and do well, and uh, I did. I yeah, I didn't really get the chance to show it, I suppose, because it was both games, my, my my game time was so limited in both games that I didn't really get a chance to show it. Yeah, no, I get you. The day of the game in the sports ground, and the day of your injury, I just want to. Uh, talk about that do you how much of that do you remember because i know uh, uh, it was a fairly traumatic experience on the day yeah um oh i pretty much remember everything um <sighs> yeah it's it's still something that plays in my mind and it's something that i'd uh regularly um well no it's probably something that i'm not trying to focus on or think about too much but i can, I can remember everything i remember um the the pre match the the nerves the excitement the kind of nodding to the to the lads in the other team that I'd know just going out for the warm up um seeing some familiar faces in the crowd all my family were there lots of friends there um because it was probably the pitch where I played most of my rugby bar Galwegian's pitch um and then once the game started I was. I was a bundle of energy at the start and I ended up actually dropping my first ball um, off a high ball and, you know, I was so pissed off at myself but I managed to, to kind of rebound and I got, got on another ball after that and I, um, I think I threw a nice pass from left to right and then then came the, the, the collision that kind of ended it all really. It was a, it was a kind of a long wiper from, from Craig Ronson and I remember collecting the ball kind of in around where the dugout is and looking up seeing seeing Finley Beelham, Sean O'Brien and Matt Healy in front of me and I thought right okay if I don't do something here I'm going to be absolutely whacked so I put on a little bit of footwork and I managed to kind of half get around Matt and next thing Sean goes in low on me and then Finley kind of comes in a bit higher and I think Sean catches me first and Finley catches me afterwards and it's just a a free collision, um, which I don't think it really looks that bad in replays. But um, yeah, I, I I can remember everything after that. It was I wasn't knocked out. Um, 
knew straight away I was in big trouble because I I, could, I heard the pop and next thing I know the doctors are rushing onto the pitch. I'm I'm really um I and I only found this out uh, a few months later that I'm so indebted to the, the support I got, especially from the Connacht medical professionals like um Orla Armstrong and Gareth Coughlin, um, because a lot of damage that's done to the cervical spine is actually done after the injury when people are being, you know, transported to the hospital or onto a stretcher or whatever. But the guys were brilliant with me. They they knew straight away, right, this is serious, um, and all the necessary precautions were taken. So yeah, I'm really I'm really indebted to them. Uh, I I I bet I remember being there that day and just the time rightfully they took to bring you off the pitch as safely as possible. Yeah. Like it's a it's a testament to their training as yeah. as much as anything yeah. else, you know. And Orla actually said it to me afterwards. She said that was the first time they've actually had to deal with the neck injury where it hasn't just been precautionary, where it's been a yeah. it's been a proper a proper rupture. And you had to go through a, a, a fair process to get to where you are now some fairly intense surgeries and yeah and rehabs yeah so the first um the first hour after the collision was uh horrible to really think back on it it was yeah so i i remember being whisked into the the conic medical room inside in the sports ground there and all I could, do, all I was seeing was was the ceiling, um, and I was, I'd obviously be very familiar, obviously with the with the physio room in Connacht because I spent a lot of my time there, um, injured. So I remember, I remember just being um, locked into one of these stretchers, and I'd be a claustrophobic person at the best of times. So I was really starting to panic, and I was hyperventilating, and and I remember just, I remember screaming, I was like, "Just get my dad here, get my dad here," and. Uh, he did his best to try and calm me down. Then Orla Armstrong came back in, the conic physio, and she was, well, she's actually now with the Irish Sevens, but she was like, right, just count to 10 and count back to zero. Count to 20, count back to zero, count to 30. And that, you know, just managed to try and take my mind off what was going on. Um, and then I remember being whisked, being rushed into the hospital in uh, UCHD there and being told right, you're going in for an MRI now. And I think I, was, I must have been heavily sedated. And three days later, I went in for my surgery. Um, so obviously the MRI came back and it was, it was we knew it was pretty dangerous. Um, I pro- the severity of it probably didn't really dawn on me at the time. I was so pumped up on adrenaline from the game and everything that I was, I just thought, right, it's bad, but it's, it's not something that's going to be life-changing. And... I remember my my zebra physio saying to me. He said, "If it's any consolation, rugby players tend to do well outside of rugby," and that was kind of the first time when I kind of thought, "Jesus, maybe this is worse than I thought." Um, but yeah, what followed then was um, three days of being of lying there in hospital, not being able to move at all. Um, well, sorry, I I think I had ten degrees of movement. Um, I started, so they let they allowed the bed to kind of move ten degrees to slightly tilt myself up. And I had a, I had plenty of visitors from ex teammates and stuff um, from Galway that kind of managed to keep my spirits high. Um, then we had the surgery, and the doctor basically went in, cut my cut me open, uh, took out all the the rubble and the the gunk and whatever had been left, and uh, and put and put in a, a fused the. I put in a, an artificial disc, fused the two vertebrae together and then put a cage around it um, and sold me back up. So, yeah, that was kind of the, it was a scary enough week um, after the after the injury. But yeah, that's kind of what, what happened. How long were you in Galway after that? Uh, just even just re- recovering enough to, to travel? Because I know you went to, to France yeah. as well for, for care. Yeah, so I was I did eight weeks in Galway of absolutely zero activity. Um just getting it was a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of stiffness around the neck area at the time. So um yeah, it was nice just to be at home and it was kind of a blessing in disguise that happened in, in Galway. Um 
I don't know, is it fate or does everything happen for a reason? But um, it would have been, I know it would have been a nightmare if it had happened in South Africa or in, I don't know, Newport or one of these places. But uh, yeah, it was nice to be at home and just be able to take it easy and, and rehabilitate back there. And then after eight weeks, I went back to Italy and so I kind of saw a few more doctors over there um, and then went along to France to to try and kind of get some movement back into the neck. So that would have been about 12 weeks after the injury. So, I, I, and it was actually um, the guy who did my cert, who was doing my rehabilitation was one of the first guy, his, his father was one of the first guys to ever operate through the front of the neck. Um, because in previous times it would have been all done through the back of the neck and um, he discovered a kind of a, a more effective procedure. So that surgery obviously obviously helped you get movement back and then you're on to another another period of recovery and physio. Yeah. And that was all in Italy? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um so well sorry, it was in France. I did a, I did a three week stretch in France and then it was in in the rest of it was in Italy. Um and it was actually the same the same doctor that Dunica Ryan had been to in France that I was that I was seeing um because he was seen as being one of the best in the world. So I actually I, I called Dunica for a chat and I I I thought he was an absolute gent. Um he I was just kind of looking for a quick kind of 10 15 minute chat about what this guy is like and because uh, he was absolutely mad. He was he had his training 7 hours a day doing doing rehab. And I just wanted to get a sense from Dudica of what he thought. And he, he, he kind of concurred with that. But uh, he was an absolute gent with his time. He, I was kind of after 15, 20 minutes trying to, I was thinking, right, I better, I better uh, wrap this up because I'm, I'm putting him out here. But he, no, he was more than happy to chat. I think we ended up chatting over an hour on the phone um, about, about kind of life in Italy and life on the road and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, then I was back to Italy and more rehab there. And uh, kind of really, it was a really stressful period then because it was kind of dawning on me that, right, this mightn't be as straightforward as I thought and um, I might have, have to make a decision here. And yeah, it was kind of after one of the checkups, um, one of the kind of scheduled checkups that, that, we, that, we, that we had to make a call. And uh, yeah pretty pretty sad thinking back on it but uh yeah that's what happened uh, and th- it just happened it was just a discussion one day or was there a series of discussions leading up to that point or, or did you have a feeling yourself where this was going at that stage um probably a combination of discussions but one kind of major then discussion with with a doctor that that um kind of Re- or kind of crystallized the decision I had to make. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, it, yeah. No. It, look, it's, I know it's tough. Like it's. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what what you what that was like. Yeah. And I'd say Zebra were incredibly supportive across that full period. Yeah, they were. They they you know they were the ones that that actually sent me to France because they they recognized that this guy was one of the best uh, neck uh, rehabilitators in the world and. Um, they they had actually offered i was about to sign a two-year contract extension with them pre the injury and they were so they were brilliant they were like look gaff if you're if you're if you want if you're sorry if you're able to to play we're going to honor that contract no problem no questions asked which i thought was brilliant to them so yeah i couldn't have any i couldn't have asked for much more support from them to be honest that that's that's great because a lot of clubs would kind of be ready to yeah hundred percent to not give you that time not give you that time to yeah. to get better if there was a, a hint of it you know yeah I think and I think a big part of that of them being um loyal to me and and being really decent to me was the fact that I when I was there I really tried to buy into the the Italian culture and I I really really tried to integrate with the Italian lads and I, I started learning the language from when I was in New Zealand on the flight over, I was getting ready for it. And I think the lads and the organization as a whole kind of appreciated that, that they were, because you, you get a lot of guys that go there and 
they fall into this kind of foreigners click where the guys don't really hang out much with the Italians. The they don't really try to learn the language. They're kind of they're there to play rugby, but they're also there to pick up a pay packet, and they're they they don't really buy into the whole um culture and of the area. Whereas I think that, that was something that probably comes naturally to me because I'm I love languages to, to begin with. Um, but I thought I thought it was only fair, really, um, because this is a country that's that's employing us. You know, some of these guys they used to they used to complain about um the differences between their culture and the Italian culture where as frustrating as it can be when you, when you have to open up a bank account and it, and it requires signing 200 letters or uh, if nothing ever runs on time or just these kind of minor things. But my kind of attitude was look, so be it like that's their culture. That's, that's how things happen over here. So we may as well get on with it and buy into it because um, there are employers at the end of the day. Um, it's a, uh great attitude to have and like it's the only way to really settle and improve because if you're fighting the system you're in you're never gonna fully be able to compete at your best exactly yeah exactly then it'll then you you moved home after that what was the support like in galway like was there much outside the family or was it just back to um, the family and back to normal so the next chapter was back in galway yeah and my way of kind of um battling with this sudden uh, change in my life was right i'm going to try and keep myself as busy as possible and try and i probably try to suppress my emotions and thoughts and feelings towards it and just try to tackle a mountain of work straight away so i enrolled myself in a marketing degree or masters in NUI, NUI Galway, um probably a little bit hastily in, in terms of maybe I should have looked a little bit, cast the net a bit wider uh, beyond just a commerce degree or, or beyond a commerce subject. Um, but I thought it was probably one of the ones I, one, one of the aspects of commerce that I enjoyed the most during my undergrad degree. So yeah, I went for that. I, I did a year, um, a year's master's in Galway. Um, somebody that was really good to me during the time was uh Deirdre Lines from Irupa um I reached out to her and she was really helpful and she was able to put me in touch with a with a counselor um just to kind of um help process the 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 loss I suppose um and that was brilliant that was all um covered by the the rugby players association here in Ireland so um, that was really, really good of them and something that they didn't have to do because I was obviously a Zebra player when I finished, but it's still really, really good gesture. of them. Yeah, it's incredible. I've always, always loved what Irupa stand for. You're, it's more for that post-rugby career and post-rugby time than it is actually yeah. your time in a jersey when you're playing. Because that's, and I think you found out the hardest way that's the bit where it can be a struggle exactly yeah and i think they're so from speaking to guys who have gone to england i think they're actually a good bit ahead of the curve in terms of what they're doing to help irish guys um further their studies and um develop um personally before they inevitably have to hang up the boots um and that can happen quite young for some guys leaving the academy, or it can, or you can go on and have a career like someone like John Maloon and and stroll seamlessly into coaching. But um, at some stage or another, everyone's going to have to do it. So I think it's really important the work that they do, and uh, yeah, they, I think I think they can't be commended enough for it. Definitely. And have you been able to get back to the sports ground and watch matches at all, or is it still just that bit too? Yeah, bit too raw. Yeah, um, I remember I was invited along to the to the same fixture the following year by by the Zebra president, and we had the pre match minute dinner and um, went along to the game and I I found I was really struggling watching it. I was um, I just had that sense of emptiness and kind of a of being an outsider and. I ended up leaving early. I think I left after like 50 minutes. Um, but 
I suppose everything heals with time and um I have managed to go along to a few games since not not a whole pile. Um but yeah, maybe maybe more so down to the fact that I've that I've moved up to Dublin. But yeah, no, actually I if I'm thinking of it now, I haven't really attended much live rugby since since I've left um bar club games. So uh, my housemate up in Dublin plays with uh, old Wesley, so I've been to a few old Wesley games. And I've been to a fair few Gal Regions games because I'd still be close to a lot of lads in the club, but not yeah. in terms of international rugby or professional rugby. I haven't really been to much at all since I finished. That, that that's that's fair. And I was I was kind of wondering, you, do you have any kind of I won't say aspirations, but would you like to help, like say an underage team, or you know, pass on some of the knowledge you have to another generation of rugby players? Yeah. Um, it's something I've kind of toyed with um, and thought of for a while. And I think the initial, uh, why I didn't initially go straight into it was because um, I felt like it would be too hard um, coaching people when I feel like I should be still out there doing it myself. And maybe, maybe it would be, maybe because I've still kind of got that lingering um, feelings, maybe underage would be the kind of way, the avenue to start into it. Um, I think since I've since I've kind of joined the the corporate world up in Dublin, it, it's really made me realise that I want sport as part of my life, um, in some shape or form, and I'd love to try and go down an angle of combining business and sport, or um, coaching and sport, or maybe not so much coaching, but kind of the uh, science behind it, the the behavioural um aspect to it um so as of yet i haven't i haven't got into any sort of coaching um but it's definitely something i will look into in the future um because i'm yeah i'm an i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sports fanatic and and rugby has always been my number one yeah there's a lot of sports fanatics now at the moment that are just are finding it missing like i'd say like as you said you're like a big fan of the ail teams and, and going to them on occasion i'd say they're going to be the most well-attended AL matches when rugby comes back. Yeah, well, um, I I was very interested to read there recently how there there's talks about kind of aligning the global calendar and possibly having a a season where maybe rugby will start pre-season, even club rugby in January, and then you finish it in December. And I think it's a brilliant idea because there's so much good rugby that's been spoiled by the weather in Ireland between the months of. November and February, we we'll say, um, especially at club level, because those guys don't have the the same facilities as the pro guys have. So, uh, yeah, I'd be all I'd be all in favor of of a maybe even even this year, like a, you know, get the guys back in for preseason in January, play it off over your summer months. Obviously, the the pitches are going to be harder, and that's going to present challenges. But, um, I think the neg- the pros outweigh the cons, and uh, we'd see some unbelievable rugby and. Um, it really helped to develop our skill set and promote running rugby. Yeah, like you'd hope that the increase in running rugby and the increase of skill set in that sense would kind of help, from an Irish perspective anyway, combat the the fight against the GAA and that struggle for the the audience as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's, as much as it is a fight, I think it definitely can be done in tandem as well because... It, like I would have played GA a lot as a youngster, and I I think I definitely picked up a lot of a lot of crucial skills, uh, which helped me along in my rugby, in terms of feeling, in terms of uh, kicking and hand eye coordination and fitness. Um, so I think we need to really try. There's such a there's such a fall off um after schools now with in uh, GA rugby soccer participation. It's something that. We can definitely work together on it to try and capture as much um, as much people as possible because it's something that I didn't really realize until you know speaking to my dad recently about, recently about it, and I was asking him I was like why why is there so why do do the likes of Weegans now have three to four senior teams when back in the day they used to have seven to eight, and he kind of explained to me that the, it's back in let's say thirty forty years ago people didn't go to the gym people didn't go jogging unless you were a runner. 
So I think we've lost a huge amount of people to that are just doing their activity in the gym or in or in uh you know run the streets where I think it's something that could be tapped into more and uh yeah, I think that I think the GA and the rugby both could be could be doing more to try and um keep kids um playing after they leave school. Yeah, it's that that social side of rugby that literally is why I I started playing. I like I started playing at a, at a at a much older age, and I started playing for the Galwegians fourths. Yeah. And before I broke my leg, and it was that social scene to help me get fit. You know, it was that both in tandem. Yeah. That young lads and girls need to kind of go. Oh, hold on a second. There's a place for me to get fit and make friends and have exercise. And if people are good, they end up progressing. Exactly. Like that's. Um it's probably where I've met 80% of my friends, which is kind of sad to think of it, but it's, it's true. Like it's such a brilliant way of meet, meeting people. And the crack is, is unbelievable after a game, you know, you, you know, you've been through something together and win or lose or draw, you know, there's always a few pints in the clubhouse afterwards. And it's such a, I couldn't recommend it highly enough to anyone um, looking to, I don't know, come out of their shell or, looking to to find an avenue for their for their energy so yeah definitely no I agree and I think on that piece of positivity um, I'll I'll let you I'll let you go back to your evening Kieran it's been um, a pleasure talking to you like I know that's not an easy conversation for you to have even now but your career is a fascinating story like from beginning to end and thank you for sharing it with me and everyone who's listening thanks Bork um no it's been a pleasure sharing my time with you and uh yeah all the best in the future thanks kieran that was an incredible conversation and everyone listening don't forget to like share and subscribe this podcast the only way these stories and these chats and conversations get heard by more people so that's it for this episode and until next week take care and stay safe <laughs>